Hi, it's uh, Yehuda Geber with another story from our glorious past. Um, today we'll talk a little bit about a very, very colorful character from uh, Jewish history, from recent Jewish history, um, a fellow by the name of Yaakov Lifshitz, who there's so many aspects of his personality and his story. We'll try to cover a few of them. He, his official position that, that made him famous was that he was the secretary of Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan Specter, the Kovna Rav, the longtime Rav of Kovna in the second half of the 19th century. But um, that was just his official, official position. He used it as a springboard for being one of the um, really dynamic uh, leaders behind the scenes. Um, of the Jewish people in the Russian Empire at the time. He was the original, what we would call today, an Askin. Um, whether that has a positive or negative connotation is up, to, uh, is up for discussion. And um, he, he used his position, many thought, to control access to Ravitzikul Khanana, which actually came to become uh, uh, really standard for the profile of an Askin down to this very day. So that's definitely something that led to somewhat of a tradition. And he was, he was from the earliest uh, that we know of that used that. Um, he definitely controlled access to Rizikul Khanan, and he used that position to his uh, advantage. Uh, he definitely did a lot of good things. Um, his basic position was that he was living at a time the second half of the 19th century, the Haskalah was very strong. The modern times were, were really encroaching on the old establishment of the Jewish communities of the Russian Empire. The Tsarist decrees against the Jews of the Russian Empire were something that had to be dealt with. And, and uh, challenges, that economic challenges, uh, outward, inward, and he represented the old establishment. He was old school. He was the old guard. The, uh, and anything new was bad. That's, that was ba- his, basic, uh, his basic way. He, and and he, fought it, he fought it all. He dedicated his life to the, his main enemy, was the Haskalah. He was a sharp writer. He was one of the first religious writers in the media, in the press. He actually started or had a hand in starting the original monthly periodicals, monthly quarterly religious periodicals, um, giving responses to the um, well-known Maskilim writers in the 1850s, 60s, and 70s. If we take a step back to understand the times, the Haskalah movement in Eastern Europe is actually, you know, develops in stages, mainly in the Russian Empire, and mainly in the area of Lithuania where Yaakov Lishtschitz was active. He grew up in Vilkomir and eventually moves to Kovna. Both of those are, of course, in Lithuania. Vilkomir is a small shtetl, and uh, Kovna, which is not that far from there, is a major city, one of the most major cities in Lithuania till this very day, um, including its, its a well-known suburb of Slabotka. It was a major Jewish community in, the, uh, in Lithuania and the Russian Empire. And... The Haskalah movement gains traction. In the 1850s, um, it's still 
gaining momentum, it reaches its peak in the 1860s and 70s. That's when it's really, really at its peak, it's most powerful, and then it, it really hits a downturn in 1881 for the very simple reason that in 1881, the pogroms against the Jews of the Russian Empire begin in earnest. Uh, the Russian government, the Tsarist Russian government, was seen as instigating these pogroms, which made it very scary because it wasn't coming from the bottom. It seemed to have actually been coming from the top. It made it worse. It was a huge disillusionment for the Jews of the Russian Empire at the time, um, and, it, and it caused the mass emigration of Jews from the Russian Empire. Eventually, the Great Emigration uh, began as a result of these pogroms, which began in 1881. The May Laws were passed, shortly afterward by the Tsarist government, making it even more difficult for Jews in the Russian Empire to live. And the Haskalah kind of lost its wind at the time because their major promotion was the non-Jews are ready to accept us into society, we just have to improve ourselves. And after 40 years of trying to improve themselves, this is what they got in return. And many of the leading Haskalah writers of the day actually wrote that. They wrote that our ideas have somewhat failed, and we have to rethink them. We have to rethink strategy, and eventually the rethinking of strategy led, led to the, all the isms. The isms were revolutionary. In other words, instead of let's integrating ourselves and uh, getting involved in Russian society and ingratiating, ingratiating ourselves to the Russian government, rather we're going to turn over the world. Communism, socialism, nationalism, Zionism, springs up um, after this time. So it comes out in a different form. And Yaakov Lifshitz, when he fought against the Haskalah, he saw the change and he just felt that these new isms were just a new form of the old Haskalah and he continued to fight against them. He dies at the ripe old age of 84 in 1922. In other words, he extends all the way to the post-World War I era. But his heyday is the end of the 19th century. His his um, his his connection, meaning the as the secretary of Yitzchak Khanan, so Yitzchak Khanan specters the governor of dies in 1896, but he doesn't lose his his power. Then Yitzchak Khanan specters son Rabbi Hirsch Rabinovich becomes the Rav of Kovna in his father's place. He lives till 1910. Um, then uh, Yaakov Lifshitz is involved in the uh, somewhat protracted fight of who's going to replace. The son of Rabbi Khanan as the Rav of Kovna, which is a, which lasted for about three plus years, um, and all kinds of people were involved in that. Rabbi David Karliner, who was Rabbi David Friedman, who was one of the uh, elderly rabbis in Lithuania and the Russian Empire at the time, when he was asked why he was so involved and who's going to take over the rabbinate in Kovna, it's so far from Karlin, where you're the rabbi, he said. The rabbinate and Kavanah belongs to the Jewish people, and therefore I have to get involved. And Mayor Simcha of Dvinsk was a candidate for a time to become the rabbi in Kavanah. Eventually, Rabbi Avram Dov Berkahana Shapiro, the Dvar Avram, becomes the last rabbi of Kavanah for the last 30 years until, um, until he dies in the Kavanah ghetto. But Yaakov Lifshitz already um, had, um, what it was already, um, uh, in his twilight at the time, in the pre-World War I era. And we're going to focus mainly on his, his, uh, his long protracted battles with the Haskalah and pretty much with anything new. He was a misnagid, 
as far as Hasidus was concerned, although when it came to fighting against the Askala, he got along with the Hasidim. Um, in his book, which we'll get to in a second, he has actually a Haskama, an endorsement from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rashab, and, um, and, uh, and also the next Lubavitcher Rebbe after that. He, did, he was able to work with the Hasidim, and he even has a long explanation about why he was able to and how they're able to get along today. But he fought against anything, anything that was a new trend. He wasn't excited, that too excited about the yeshiva world um, that was sprouting in his time, especially the Musr yeshivas. He was an opponent of the Musr movement, the famous Pulmus HaMusr, and that broke out right after Rabbi Yitzchak Inspector died. As long as he was alive, he was able to prevent uh, anything from being too exclusive. It wasn't that he actually prevented it, but it was more that his presence was so commanding, was so powerful, that people did not do certain types of things while he was around. And the year after he dies, the Pulmus HaMusr, the fight against the Musr movement, broke out, which is another topic entirely. And the one who was pulling the strings behind uh, the scenes was, a, to a large extent, Yaakov Lifshitz. On the other hand, he was one of the founders of the Kavna Kailo in 1880, while Rabbi Tzikolchanan was still alive, and that was along with people like Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the altar of Slabatka. Um, he, he was very, very colorful, like I said. He managed to get along with people and disagree with them. He was very powerful, but he liked to stay behind the scenes. Um, unlike uh, an image we might have of these type of askanim, he never made money off of it. So it wasn't about getting money. He died a poor man. He never made any money off of it. It wasn't about getting covered either. Uh, in other words, that wasn't his motive either. He, he, most of what he did was behind the scenes. Very, very often people didn't even know that he was involved. Um, he would write letters and use pen names. Most of his articles he used a pen name for. There are several reasons for that. And that brings me to another topic. Um, he left an, a very valuable legacy behind. He wrote a history book. Now, of course, this is history according to him. Um, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. There are those who don't like to use it so much as a source because, you know, it's slanted in his, uh, in his mind. But he wrote a book called Zichrein Yaakov, which is the memories of Yaakov. He's Yaakov Lifshitz. And that book, which is a long and tedious read, which, which uh, you know, you have to just get through if you want to get the thousand or so pages of, uh, of what he has to say, is an amazing window into Jewish life in the Russian Empire. Really describes it. He describes the economy, the relationships with the government, the reforms in education, the Haskalah movement. He touches on the yeshiva movement a drop. He goes to great lengths to discuss the pogroms and what there was to do to try to Stop the pogroms. He talks about the relations that the Jews of the Russian Empire had with their fellow Jews in Western Europe and how he tried to maintain those relations. He used the offices of Rabbi Khan Inspector to maintain relations, relationships with the Jewish communities in France, in England, in Germany, in Denmark to try to get help for the Jews of Russia who were going through hard times. He, and he was very, very involved in that, also at a secretive level. And one of the things that comes out, interestingly enough, from, from what his explanations there, from his lengthy uh, explanations there, was 
But we really have to understand the context of Jews living in the Russian Empire. And he goes on to say how if any Jews in the Russian Empire wants to make a gathering to discuss a public issue, a communal concern, and that gathering involved more than 10 Jews, then that was officially considered a public gathering, and you had to get a license from the Tsarist government to hold such a gathering. And he says, now do you understand how difficult it was to get anything done in the Russian Empire? It wasn't so simple to get Jews together, to get help, to make an asifa, to make a kennis, to make a gathering, just to be able to discuss and do things. You had to write letters, but the letters were often censored because they were scared of the, of the, of the mail system, was censored by the Russian Tsarist police as well. So nothing was, was really easy to get things done. Um, he was known as a very strong opponent to Zionism. Again, that's also something new. And Rabbi Hudalib Fishman, the great Mizrahi leader, he writes how Rabbi Tzikal Khanan, it seems, was a supporter of the early Choyvevei Tzioin, or Chibas Tzioin, Lovers of Zion movement. And he was prevented from supporting it more openly because the one who controlled his office was Yaakov Lifshitz. Of course, that's left up to dispute whether Rabbi Hudalib Fishman, Maimon's version is right or not. But the reality is, is that Rabbi Tzikal Khanan did show some support for the, uh, for not for the Zion, political Zionism, but for the Chayi movement in its early stages. Again, he died in 1896 before anything really took off in a serious way. But Yaakov Lifshitz definitely was a fiery opponent to Zionism. Um, Yaakov Lifshitz also uh, helped Rebitzikel Khanan maintain very, very positive and warm and open uh, relationships with the wealthy Jews of, of uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg. The reality of the Jews in the Russian Empire was that there was a tiny percentage of Jews who were extremely wealthy. The Ginsburgs, mainly. Baron Horace Ginsburg, he even had a title. He lived in St. Petersburg. And uh, the Brodskys, the Vysotskys, Kalman Zev Vysotsky, who actually learned in Valozhin until he became a tea magnet and lived in Moscow, the Balei Musser, the altar of Kelmer, Salanta, they, many of them were very close with him. He also had a relationship with Yaakov Lifshitz and Rebitzik Khanan, and he enlisted them to causes to help the Jewish people. Again, the Jewish people in the Russian Empire are facing hard times, especially after 1881 when the programs begin, and the question is what to do. Should they emigrate? That was the solution of many. Rebitzik Khanan actually supported emigration as a solution, especially in the early stages, before it became apparent that uh, assimilation was so rampant in the United States, and Yaakov Lifshitz was involved in that as well. On the other hand, the wealthy Jews in St. Petersburg and Moscow were trying to get Jews to integrate more into the world of the Russian Empire, and they were interceding with, on behalf of their fellow Jews in the Pale of Settlement with the Russian government. So Baron Horace Ginsburg was anti-immigration. The, the new Chayvavetzian movement says, not emigration to the United States, and we're not staying in Russia, we're going to start making settlement in Israel. And others are providing other solutions, other revolutionary solutions. And Rebetzik Khanan and his office and his staff is involved in everything. How do we better the situation of the Jewish people at this time? And it's not a simple thing, meaning there's no real clear Good answer to this. So Yaakov Lifshitz is involved in all these initiatives. He opposes most of them, 
because everything's new, and he's anti-new, like we said. He's very fiery. Like we said, most of his venom was saved for the Haskalah. The Haskalah, their main weapon was writing. They were the first ones to write Jewish newspapers, Hamagid, especially Hamelitz, the famous maskil from Zamush near Lublin, Alexander Tzederboim, who his pen name was Erez, Tzederboim, is a cedar tree. Um, so he wrote as Erez, he founded the newspaper Hamelitz, which was first printed in Odessa. Later he himself moved to St. Petersburg, capital of the Russian Empire, and he prints it there. Now Hamelitz is probably not a single Jewish newspaper today that reaches the amount of readership that Hamelitz did, because it wasn't just the amount that were printed, because they would take one copy of Hamelitz and the entire shtetl would read it together. Hamelitz's influence on the Jews of the Russian Empire was literally, can't be exaggerated. And, uh, and uh, you know, Paris Smolenskin, Yudeleib Gordon, Yalag, uh, Meisheleib Lilienbaum, all these people were famous Russian Jews, Maskilim, in the later part of the 1800s, and Yaakov Lifshitz had what to say about each of them. He had, was involved in starting Hatvuna and Halavana and things, initiatives that actually Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was also involved in. And he worked together with Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, although he opposed his Muslim movement. They worked together to better the situation of the Jews in the Russian Empire, to fight the Haskalah and all types of things like that. So he had those two side, sides to him. And he wrote very sharply, very critical and they used to call him, they nicknamed him, since he was the office of Rebetzik Khan Inspector, they nicknamed him Halishka Hashchoyro, the black office. And that was the reputation he had. He was black, and he controlled the office. He controlled the whole administration there of the most powerful rabbi in the Russian Empire, who the Maskilim themselves respected. They respected Rebetzik Khanan, But they said that secretary he has, he ruins everything. He's a fiery a zealot who has to be stopped. And, and there was these, this polemic war that went on for literally decades between him and the Maskilim, and they tried to see who would have more influence using the pen. Of course, um, Yaakov Lifshitz, his, his, uh, his wars, his fights, his fire reached many areas, many more than, uh, than, than we just mentioned here, just the tip of the iceberg. His legacy, though, besides for his uh, ans- his uh, his uh, descendants, who many of them are still alive, many of them emigrated to uh, the United States before the war, um, and uh, his 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 influence is felt through the history book that he left us, the Zichron Yaakov, which is so rich in details about these episodes, about what was going through the Jewish people at the time, um, of course. According to him, in his version of the, a version of events, and that's the beginning of this. That's a little bit of the story of Yaakov Lifshitz. Uh, this was Yehuda Geber again. Questions, or if you want interested in tours to hear more about these great people, places, and institutions, YGEBSS at gmail.com.